Welcome to the Brand Community Podcast. Brand communities are the foundation of business growth. They build a human connection between brands and their customers, turn those customers into lifelong advocates, and ultimately grow your business. I'm Sam Heisel, a co-founder and managing partner at Knox, a digital agency that helps brands, artists, and entrepreneurs grow and convert communities online. And I'm Chris Whitman, co-founder of Crony, a creative agency that connects brands and consumers through powerful brand experiences. Every Tuesday, we'll be interviewing marketing leaders and community builders so you can walk away with actionable strategies to help your brand grow and prosper. Welcome to the show. Chris, what's happening, man? How are you doing today? Doing great today, Sam. How about yourself? Oh, I'm good. And I'm very excited for our very special guest today, Mr. Richard Millington, the founder of Fever Bee and the author of Buzzing Communities. Richard is a frequent speaker at online community events around the world, and his company, Fever Bee, uses proven social science to develop successful online and offline communities. Uh, I think Richard draws on a, a very vast base of knowledge as it pertains to building thriving communities that translate to business impact. He's worked to develop over 150 plus successful communities, including those for Google, Oracle, United Nations, and many more. So I I think he he helps consult, he helps train. Um, He's got a very good way at distilling down uh, the the power of community and how you as a a brand or company can deploy that to, to help grow your business into a very simple and tactical way. So very excited to have him on. What stood out to you, Chris? Yeah, uh, you know, Rich Rich had some interesting perspective. Um, you know, first and foremost, not every company needs to leverage the power of community. I thought that was really, you know, he kind of kicks off with that statement. I thought that was really great. Um, you know, also on top of that, building community is about scaling business, but you need to be thoughtful about it. You need to be authentic to um, what your community goals are. And, um, you know, you to a certain extent, you do need to be one to one with that um, with that growth mindset. Um, so you know, like don't don't think you're going to scale it super fast automatically. So really, really great insights, and um, you know, excited for everybody to hear his thoughts. Agreed. All right. Well, without any further ado, let's get into it. Rich Millington. Rich, what is happening, man? How you doing today? I'm doing good. How you doing? How are things in New York? Things are good. New York's Things great. Good. I can't speak for Chicago. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm switching it up, b- bouncing all over these days. But uh, life is, is good, all things considered. Um, Glad to hear. With that said, I mean, really, really excited to have you on, man. I think you have a wealth of knowledge as it pertains to harnessing and, and growing communities and leveraging the power that they can drive to businesses. In, in, that, in that vein, just to open things up, from your perspective, why do you think it's critical for companies to leverage the power of community? Well, I don't. I think it's critical for some companies to leverage the power of community. I think the challenge too often is that companies dive into communities without having the resources or the processes set up to make that community work. So for many, um, if you want to increase loyalty, if you want to get a group of people creating case studies and advocating on your behalf, if you want to have a group of people who are going to be a volunteer army to support almost everything you're doing, give you feedback on everything that they want so you can sell exactly what they want to buy or do exactly what they need to do, then yeah, it's important to have a community. And even internally, I think almost every community would benefit from a um, Almost every organization would benefit from a community for their employees. Um, but for a customer community or an external community, I think you need to get things lined up internally first before you can truly get the value from that. 
But once you have that, a community is so powerful in so many different parts of the business. And the challenge really is just making sure the community does support all those things, sales, marketing, PR, uh, product development, um, all those different benefits of community is something um, that can be provided by a community. Yeah, yeah, it brings up a really good point. It's it's like know thyself, right? Before you can uh, before you can jump in on that. But uh, but anyway, yeah, Sam, I think you had a follow up there. Yeah, I mean, in that in that vein, I know community is such a amorphous thing, and there's uh, that, like hundreds, if not thousands, or an infinite number of ways in which you can really kind of create a community. <laughs> but uh, just yeah. to to make this a little bit more specific, can you speak to a couple different examples of organizations? Um, that you've seen effectively leverage the power of community and really kind of dive into the the format or structure or process that they have used to, to nurture and build that community? Yeah, sure. My website, um, feedbee.com slash communities, I have a list of like top 10 in every category that I pay attention to. Um, I mean, some of the ones that rank really highly are organizations like, um, like uh, SAP, um, organizations like Ad like Atlassian, um, organizations um, like Fitbit and Spotify as well, organizations that have spent years developing a community, not just for one goal, but for many. So if you look at the Fitbit community, originally they were facing a crisis where they were growing so, so quickly, they couldn't hire enough customer support staff to get to scale up. But in a community, every customer can answer the question from another customer. Once you have an answer, you can share the answer with other members. So that's really powerful. And gradually, they expand that from just a community that was more forum-based to a community that was based around people sharing their health and fitness tips to a community that was within the app as well, where you can connect with your friends there. So there were multiple benefits of doing that. If you look at the Spotify community, again, they've got a community that is um, based around customer support, but it's also a place where you can discuss the, the music you like. You can share your, 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 your playlist there. You can highlight your feature rec- recommendations as well. So that works really, really well. I think the really critical thing to make a community work is to have a clear strategy to begin with, to start small and grow steadily from there. Start with one specific goal, often customer support or a reason that will bring people to your community already, and then steadily expand beyond that. Um, I think if you can get that right, then you can start thinking about the psychology pills to use, whether it's going to be status, whether it's going to be um, a sense of relationships that's going to keep people coming back. But it's such a broad topic. Um, but just getting that foundation right, just looking at some of how the top, how some of the top brands um, um, develop their community, not today, but a couple of year, years ago, and really look to see what they did is really interesting to follow that kind of, um, of a playbook. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, that makes me think of, you know, when communities evolve, right? Like if you set your own goal, um, you know, like you said, start small. Have you noticed any instances where the community kind of starts to take over and kind of change what the corporate per- perceived goal is um, for the community to be? And then, you know, they've had to kind of like catch up and modify with with the community. Um, have you noticed that that creates any shortfalls, any conflicts? Like curious to hear about, you know, potential discord there. One of the things that fascinates me is that so often I've had um, prospective clients that reach out to me and they'll ask me, you know, one of the things they want me to do is help them define the goals for that community, which seems like it makes sense. But when you think about it, they've been developing this community for years. They've invested often hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars in this community, and they don't know what the goal of that community is. They're sure that the, they're sure that the community is very valuable for them, 
but they don't quite know what the value is. And so that happens a lot. I think very often communities are created for one purpose or an intern has created it and then that intern has left and the community is still growing and developing. So it doesn't make sense to shut that community down, but they don't know what the goal is. So I think what happens is, is sometimes the community will naturally begin evolving by itself. If you look at communities like um, Atlassian and a few others, so you've got the developers there, you've got the users there. You've got a mixture of different audiences that start visiting that community. SAP is kind of similar to this. They had a developer community first, and then they found out more and more different types of users were joining that community, and they catch up from that quite quickly. Um, but I think it happens a lot. Um, I don't think there's one classic example, but I think there are times when you have to follow what the community is doing, and there are times when you've got to lead the community. Um, and you have to lead the community if you're not getting enough value from it, and you have to follow the community if it's very clear that members want something, and you're not supporting that yet. And I think you have to find the balance between those two things. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And very, uh, it's like a, a tightrope, I'm sure, walking on that and finding ways to really nurture and, and create value while simultaneously trying to get some of the value through the power of community. In that vein, when it comes to, um, I mean, I know a lot of community and a lot of people we speak to with regards to community uh, are very much focused in in creating in-person activations as a mechanism of, of nurturing these relationships. Obviously, that's already been taken off the table for the time being with COVID. What are some of the ways in which you've kind of had to iterate or, or shift your approach to continue helping brands create community amidst the, the pandemic that we're currently in? I think um, the pandemic has been awful for people around, around the world, but for managing online communities, it's really proven the value of that community. Um, a lot of the offline events are now a part of an online community. So sure, maybe your members aren't meeting up in person, but now they're engaging with each other through an online community, and that's where we live and that's where we eat. So yeah, having the pandemic has been very useful for establishing the value of that community. It's been very useful for establishing um, um, the multitude of different ways that members can engage with one another. And if you look at what organizations like CMX and others are doing, they've been able to get people very highly engaged through their events. They've had local chapters around the world that are hosting their events. Um, they'll be able to report back, you know, the recordings and whatever they discover from each event to the central um, uh, place. So all those kind of things are really useful to have. And so I think um, it hasn't changed my approach in a major way. All it has is created this incredible opportunity for every single person working in the community space now today to take advantage of it. So if people can't meet in person, what can you replicate within the online community? And what can you do even better through the community? So in an in-person event, only a few, only a small percentage of your audience can ever attend. But in an online event, the whole world can attend. You can retour, you can record it. You can have, you can do a 24 hour session instead of just, uh, just one eight hour day. So it has so many opportunities. And I think the challenge isn't that, um, offline events aren't happening. The challenge is, is figuring out which opportunity are you going to take advantage of first. And for me, I just look for those um, places where the most value that can't be replicated anywhere else, the things that are indispensable to that specific strand. Um, so people can't meet in person, but there's so many tools where you can do coffee meetings online where people can attend the same streamed event online where they've got this like chat roulette feature now that will connect you to two different people in their audience online. I mean, ideally without all of the porn that is on that, that site. Um, but there's so many like different um, options there that members can connect to one another. So it's been awful for the world, but exciting for people building an online community.
you've been talking a lot about value and like understanding value from your community and, you know, when to lead and when to, when to not so on and so forth. Um, I'm curious if you have any, you know, like if, I, if I'm a brand community manager and I'm trying to understand what value is, or I'm trying to understand what success is in the context of, of building my community and, and, and seeing that, um, what are some like good frameworks or, you know, what are some good just like kind of guidelines in order to help me understand that? The word I use time and time again is indispensable. I wrote a whole book about it, um, the indispensable community, um, which is the idea that communities that thrive have to offer value that they can only get from the community, that the organization can only get from the community, and that members can only get from the community. And if you can satisfy that criteria, find that sweet spot there, that's where you get the real value of the community. So you have to think about what a community is because very often people try to, they fall into this engagement trap of trying to get as many people engaged and participating because they think the more participation we have, the more value, more valuable the community is. But the reality is that's not even close. What a community is, it's a volunteer army that can support your goals. It can power up everything that you're doing. So if you look at the QuickBase community, they create, they um, managed to persuade a few hundred of their members to create reviews on the um, trust radius and the comparison sites, which makes them the one, the number one brand in their category. That is worth millions of dollars, but they only needed a few hundred members doing that. If you look at um, other online communities we've worked with, I mean, we've worked with communities where we had uh, members of the community sharing their case studies and testimonials that were then used in sales material which generated far more sales for the community. You looked at um, Bug, Bug Crowd, you know, another, another example from my book that did that. So you don't need that many members to create, to create great value. For sure, you know, if members participate in a community, their retention levels uh, might be a little bit higher. But loyalty, it helps, but it's not the number one goal, I think. I think communities are, they let you scale your business. They let you take what you're doing and then multiply the impact many times over. They're the most cost-effective way I can think of as scaling a business today. Whether you're providing support, whether you're trying to reach new customers, just having a few hundred or maybe a few thousand members that are truly committed to supporting you, it's like having a few hundred staff members that are committed to supporting you. They can do incredible things when they're motivated, when they feel a sense of connection, a sense of community, when they feel they're having their needs satisfied. The value is multifold and it keeps on increasing and increasing and increasing. So for example, um, let's imagine in the Dropbox community, um, one person asks a question and, get, and gets an answer. If that was a typical customer support channel, that'd be one person that, that received an answer. But in an online community like Dropbox, everyone that searches for that answer is going to find that answer in the community. That might deflect thousands of calls, thousands of people that might have picked up the phone and called their customer support line, no longer need to do it because they found the answer in the community. If you go to, if you're considering buying an iPhone or an Oculus Rift or whatever, whatever major purchase you find, and you find hundreds of positive reviews created by members of that community, that's a massive win. That's going to have a big impact. If you can ask questions and get answers from other members before making a purchase, that's a massive win. And don't forget that the level of trust we have in brands at the moment isn't that high. The level of trust we have in influencers, in influencers at the moment isn't that high. But having this social proof, something that you can't fake, something that members know they, they can trust, it's incredible. We've been doing this with Sephora, um, one of my clients for the last year. Again, making sure that there's incredible social proof in everything they do. 
something that can't be faked. And I think that's what a community gives you. You can't fake it. You've got to nurture it. You've got to build it. And when you have it, you've got this volunteer army that really just supports and power, power, powers up everything that, that you do. That's really powerful. I, I love it, man. And I especially like to when you kind of uh, deconstructed a lot of the, the philosophy and elements of being indispensable and the different attributes of that. When you think about other frameworks, I know you do training, you work with lots of different brands and help them develop community strategies from, from, from scratch. I mean, do you have other frameworks or when you're, if I'm a company and I run a company and I'm considering it, how do you take people through this process of evaluating the right, A, if there's a good fit to leverage the power of community, B, how to go about creating a community that will actually have impact for customers as well as for the business? Yeah, I think there's a danger in, discussions like these of putting the cart before the horse, right? Because if you're looking to build a community, but you don't know what problem you're trying to solve, then I think it's clear that the cart has gone before the horse. You've fallen in love with the idea of having a community because community is such an easy idea to fall in love with. I mean, a group of of people that love you, who doesn't love the idea of having that? I mean, all of us want a community, right? Um, But I think there has to be a problem that you want solved. And I think community has to be the best way to solve it. And best can mean many different things. It can be most cost-effective, most scalable, most in line with our brand. It can mean many different things. But I wouldn't begin thinking, we need a community. What problems can the community solve? I think the very first thing I would look at is, what problems do we need to solve? And is community the best way to do it? And sometimes it's not. Sometimes for a lot of the challenges out there, maybe there's other ways of achieving the same goal. If you want feedback, for example, a community can give you feedback and ideas. You can also get those ideas from customer support, innovation. There's many different ways of doing that. So a community has to offer unique value that you can't get from anywhere else. Um, A good way of thinking about it is that there's got to be that sweet spot between, if you imagine it as those overlapping um, circles, those those Venn diagrams we see everywhere, you've got what the organization wants at the top. That's one circle. That would be things like um, scalable customer support, more sales, more revenue, retention, those kind of things. And then you have what members want. That's the second circle there. That would be answers to to problems. That would be um, uh, getting the information they need when they need it. There might be a sense of belonging and those kind of things. And then you have what a community can actually do. What are the unique properties of a community? in terms of giving people a sense of influence, in terms of giving people a sense of belonging, in terms of giving people um, a sense where they can feel who they truly are. And the challenge is to get in the really sweet spot of that. Because if you have that, that circle of what a community can do and what an organization wants and know what members wants, you're building a ghost town. If you have what um, the audience wants and what an organization needs, then you're just building a community in name only, people that create a blog or push content out and call it a community. And if you just have, you know, what um, members want and what a community can do, you have the engagement trap where you're trying to drive as much engagement, but none of it is val- is valuable to you. And so the challenge, and if you can put notes in this podcast, I can share the the, uh, di- the diagram we use for that. But the challenge is to figure out that specific sweet spot right in the middle where nothing gets everything that they want, but there's an overlap between your three. And if you can live there, if you can be in that sweet spot, that's where the magic happens. That's where you get real value from that community. That's where you deliver real value to your members as well. And that's where you are truly become in, indispensable um, to the organization and to your audience as well. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think, um, you know, there, you know, there's so many like 
like new brands out there, right? And they're all trying to figure out, you know, we talked to so many like uh, emerging D2C and CPG brands and so on and so forth. And they're all kind of trying to figure out how to, how to galvanize community. Um, what kind, like just on a high level, and I realize it's going to be different whether it's B2C or yeah, B2B, yeah. but are there like specific, um, you know, tactics or, you know, effective channels that you found to be some of the, you know, best approaches to kind of like growth hacking community um, and, you know, making sure that there's consistent engagement and so on and so forth? Um, I mean, for me, growth hacking and community aren't two terms that go together especially well. Um, I mean, you can, it's not difficult to drive a lot of people to visit a community. There's lots of tools and tactics that can do that. But what happens time and time again is you get a massive spike in activity and then it plummets soon afterwards. And that's what happens usually when you have a big launch for a community, when a company invests a lot, lot, a lot, a lot of money. What I would suggest instead is to start really small. Many years ago, I did an internship with um, Seth Godin, who some of your audience might know. Um, fantastic marketer, you know, but one of the things he used to keep saying is, who are the first 10 people that you're going to, to approach? What will you tell them? Why will they tell someone else? So relations, so these relationships takes time to build and you have to steadily invest in that and get more and more people engaged and participating. So growth hacking isn't a term I think works well for a community. What I would say, if you're just starting from scratch, there's lots of resources out there, but think about who the first 100 members are going to be. Um, really reach out to them, really speak to them, figure out exactly what they need and begin doing that in the most simplest, cost-effective platform you can. And as the community grows, start investing more in the technology. So you're always building a community with your audience and not for your audience. This isn't some top-down endeavor where you're going to make all the decisions, but it's more of a bottom-up where you're constantly engaging with your members, you're finding out what each of them needs, you're finding out who they want to connect with and then connecting them with each other. Then gradually you just expand and build more and more upon that. You start refining what the concept is, what the community is going to be for, who it's going to be about, what activities is going to make sense. And what you'll find, there are things that tend to work well. Um, inviting members directly to do something within the community makes sense. Having um, discussions that members have told you that they're interested in having within the community makes sense. But the secret to a community isn't so much, um, you know how like chefs will often say that the secret isn't in the, in the cooking, but in the in the preparation of the food. I think our equivalent of that is that the secret isn't in initiating a discussion, but doing the research first so you know what members truly want. Reaching out and interviewing, you know, a few hundred, or even if that's too many, but 50 people beforehand, really diving deep, doing the surveys, figuring out exactly what topics come up again and again, really getting that tone right. The more you invest in research beforehand, the more it pays off afterwards. So it might not be the, the um, answer that some of your audience wants, but I would think the more you know exactly what your members need, the more you invest in that side, it becomes a lot easier to launch your community. So if I have interviewed 50 people that I think would be a good fit for the community about what they want, when I start a discussion about that topic, I can invite the people I've interviewed who have told me they're interested to participate in that. And they're far more likely to do it. And once you have momentum, things start to take off by themselves. But to get that momentum to reach that point of um, critical mass, it's very much a non-scalable, one-to-one, direct interaction way. So do the research, then individually invite members, make sure each person has a great welcome, make sure they feel a sense of power, they can influence that community and start growing from there. I mean, there's so many tips and tricks and if you don't mind me doing a promotion, then if you get my first book, there's all those tactics that um, that can work in there. Um, but fundamentally, just do the research. 
so many people don't do it. Very often they haven't spoken to the very people they want to be participating in these communities. Do the research, everything becomes a lot easier. I love that. Makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, I mean, even just like customer empathy is always going to be at the foundation of any sort of innovation or, or value you're driving for customers. So I think it's reiterating and driving that point home. So one, one question we uh, ask all of our guests as we come to a close here, definitely going to put you on the hot seat, but if you were going to start a new uh, direct-to-consumer product company or software company from scratch, what would it be? And then how would you go about allocating a 100K marketing budget to jumpstart growth? Oh, wow. I have no idea. Um, I think for me, I'm interested in the concept of trust. So I'm really interested. You know how you get these um, white hat hackers where you pay them to hack your, your website and they tell you? I think there's a way of doing that around trust. I think there's a way of getting people to, to research. Um, is this claim a worthy claim? Because we've got like these, these centralized sites that do that. But I don't think we've got a crowdsourced way that of doing that. So I'd be really interested in being being able to look at a resume or a CV or a company's claims and asking a group of people, is this true? Can you find any anything that's not true? This is what the bounty is, and starting a community around that. I think I think it's an interesting idea to me. I don't know if it will work. If anyone else wants to steal the the idea and try it, please let me know. I'd love to see how it goes. I like it. And then as far as the allocation of the 100K budget to to acquire customers? Um, I genuinely don't know. I, I, I always think that when you have a community that's strong, it naturally attracts people that's trying to develop. If I did have a budget um, of 100K, um, I'd probably be doing very sim- similar things to what I'm doing now, investing it in um, creating content that would be really useful to members and then finding the best ways to promote that content. Things like um, search, things like um, SEO um, of um, ranking really highly, I think would be very useful. And maybe some getting some people to promote it, paying them to promote it in some way, just to get started and build that initial audience. Um, so maybe something along, the, along those lines. But yeah, most of the marketing I've ever, ever done has been very um, cost-effective. Um, yeah, yeah. I, would say, I would say if you start a blog and you blog once every day for 10 years, you build an audience that's big enough and and loyal enough that you never have to worry about getting clients again. Uh, for me, that yeah. model has worked better than anything else. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I love it. Well, Rich, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think a lot of the, the work you're doing, the content you're creating, the, the way in which you're helping uh, power organizations and creating communities is, is super valuable. So thanks for taking the time to share some wisdom with Thank you so much. I appreciate having this uh, opportunity. Definitely, yeah. man. Thanks, Rich. Hi, Rich. Thanks a lot. We'll take it easy, man. We'll talk soon. Well, that was an amazing episode. I really enjoyed what Rich had to say. I think his uh, experience of building communities definitely showed itself. And I think some of the tactics that stood out to me most were definitely this notion and, and kind of framework for creating indispensable communities, really trying to find that sweet spot between what company wants, what the members want, what the community can actually do. And I, I think in that process, just the importance of leveraging that customer empathy. I know we touched upon that towards the, the very end of the episode, but I think that's really at the, the foundation of everything here, the, the deeper understanding you have of customers the more you'll be able to help them um and the more you'll be able to help drive business growth what what stood out to you chris yeah i think the number one thing that that really resonated with me was do your research and um you know building a business you know finding customers 
building community can all be really exciting, but a lot of times we get ahead of ourselves. We don't talk to enough people, um, you know, who would be those target community members uh, in order to really understand what their goals would be to be a part of a community, right? And contributing thoughtfully. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was that was some really great insight from his perspective, and um, you know, a really good takeaway for everybody. It's uh, it's something that startups do when they're trying to figure out how to develop, a, you know, develop the right product market fit. And um, you know, you got to be thinking about community the exact same way. So, really, really interesting stuff. Definitely. Well, as always, thank you all for tuning in. If you haven't already, please don't hesitate to go and, and leave us a review wherever you're listening to us. It uh, helps us get better and helps us reach more people. So super grateful that you guys are a part of our community. And uh, until next week, we'll be back. Cheers. Cheers.